Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Hey guys, this is Anna David. I'm the host of After Party Pod. It's a podcast all about addiction and recovery and mental illness and also all the fun topics that you like to say, talk about at cocktail parties with your family, whatever. No, not necessarily, but they are topics that we talk about here. After Party Pod is a part of After Party Magazine, which is a website dedicated to addiction and recovery, but in a fun way. No rainbows, nothing earnest. Just some good articles about getting sober, staying sober, and all the rest. After Party is a part of RehabReviews.com, which is the world's largest resource for rehab reviews. If you need treatment, that's where you need to go. I am a New York Times bestselling author. I've written a bunch of books, and I started this site in 2013, which is also when I started this podcast. I'm going to get right into it, except I'm also going to tell you I've got another podcast. It's called You've Got Issues with Anna David. You can find that in all the places you found this one. And now I'm going to get into the guest. She is so lovely. Her name is Erica Spiegelman. S-P-I-E-G-E-L. Man. Spiegelman. She and I recently met because we're a little bit like brothers from another mother kind of situation. She is from Northern California. She works in recovery. She has a lot more credibility than I do. She is an addiction and wellness specialist. She's also a motivational speaker, and she is the author of Rewired, A Bold New Approach to Addiction and Recovery, which is a best-selling book about, you guessed it, rewiring your brain in a bold new approach to addiction and recovery. She has a KDAC, which is to say she's, oh God, you know why I should really know what this stands for? Because I was in the program to get one and I dropped out a year in. It's the degree that you need in order to be a drug and alcohol counselor in California. And so she has been a drug and alcohol counselor at numerous treatment centers, but she also takes clients. So if after listening to this, you are interested in working with her, she takes clients, you do not need to be in Los Angeles. You can email her or you can, she gives the email address on the, in this interview, but it's Erica at Erica Spiegelman. You can go to her website for more information. So anyway, we met a few weeks ago. We really bonded. I think we're going to be working together. It's just kind of one of those vibes you get. But first, we decided to talk to each other and record it. We did this, and then I'm going on her radio show. Sorry, forgot to tell you. She's got a big radio show, too. It is also called rewired. I'm um, mad at myself because I don't have the information in front of me, but I'm going to, and in fact, what I'm going to do 
is I'm going to give it to you in the outro. So you got to listen to this entire episode and I will tell you where you can listen to her radio show, which by the time you listen to this, I will have been on. I am going to stop talking and give you Erica Spiegelman. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my God. I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? So this is so fun. I'm so glad we're doing this. This is only the second time we've met. Yes. And yet I feel like I've known you forever. I know, exactly. We do have a lot in common. Did you feel that when we met? Yeah. But I still think we have more in common that we haven't uncovered quite yet. It's totally true. Yeah. Yeah. Just the Northern Californian thing alone. Very special. The like, you know, kind of. Let's just say, like, fun party Jewish girl yes. situation up right. north. We didn't even identify that, but you knew, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My last name is a giveaway. You're like, and as, as is mine, people always go, I can't really? believe you're Jewish. And I'm like, David. Yeah. Like, King David, come on. Right, right, right. No, I know. Be, it know. doesn't have the, yeah. it, the man or the wits. Jewishy, really. I know. How about that? <laughs> and people are like, how can you be Jewish? Like, you don't, yeah. like, seem it. And I'm supposed to be offended. I don't, I I don't know. know if I am. I don't know. Yeah. Are you religious? No, not at all. Yeah, me neither. More just culturally like my exactly. family's from new york my, well, one side is right and then the other side is fourth generation san franciscan so that's why when you said san francisco i was like oh. this is special because really there's not many people that that i meet out here at least yeah. in la that are from the bay area like that well that's because the bay area hates la i know so they couldn't survive the ridicule and judgment that right. we receive exactly <laughs> <laughs> don't you think it's this crazy like one-sided rivalry like la's like oh bear is great Right. Yeah, I do. But you know, it's funny. Like I I had a a boyfriend in high school and he had never really left the Bay Area. Like never been to LA, never been really anywhere else in California. I feel like San Franciscans really don't really care about LA that much. It's true. It's true. Mm -hmm. It's it's like New York, LA is the same thing. Yeah, exactly. We care. So, okay. So you grew up and you went to, you went to school up North too? To college? Yeah. I went to college at the University of Arizona. Right. Where I learned many skills. Yeah. No, (laughs) it was amazing school. It was so fun. It was sunny like 360 days a year. Yeah. The school itself revolves around the college. I mean, the, the, the town, Tucson, revolves around the school, I should say. Yeah, yeah. And so it was really, like, it was amazing because there was just, it was, like, a family you created, and you were, like, at the pool every day, and it was just it was mm. such a great school. But, yeah, That's I went there, funny. and then I went back to UCLA when I came back to L.A. nine years ago. And that we have that in common, too, although I dropped out of the KDAC program. Right, um, right, right. So... Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, since we got on the Jewish thing, how about that idea that like Jews can't be alcoholics? Have you heard that? Oh my God. My mom was like, uh, first of all, I worked at a Jewish treatment center called Beit Shuva for right. a little while Right. when I was getting, uh, just started in this industry and she thought it was like unheard of. Yeah, I know. My mom's like, Jews eat. We don't drink. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Jews don't drink. How could you be drinking? And being a woman, being a woman and yeah. Jewish and a drinker. Yeah. I mean, that was it. Yeah. It was done. So, yeah, I mean, for sure. No one, no one, you know, it's funny. No one on my mom's side of the family is big drinkers, but my dad's side is, you know, we drink. Yeah. 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 So, okay, so you started drinking in high school? Mm-hmm. Well, junior high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seventh grade. Seventh, oh, me too. So that's 12? That's like 12, 13. Yeah. yeah. And I was a little young from my age, so probably 12. And do you remember your first drink? Yeah, I do. I remember, yeah, I remember, like, who it was with. I, I don't remember. I think it was a beer, probably. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I remember it was, like, a school dance. I remember the first cigarette. I remember oh, yeah. everything. Where was your first cigarette? 
It was at that same night. It actually wasn't. It was it was at this girl's house. She was like she was one of those girls that tainted like everything. You know, she yeah. she taught me about boys. She taught me about I drugs. Friend, yes. Oh my god, she was just a terror at the time. Yeah. But literally corrupted me and like I put my hair down. I was wearing my hair back, pulled back like in a half and half. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Never wore my hair down. She chopped my like you know <sighs> chopped my jean shorts shorter. Tied my t-shirt into a little, you know. Right. She was, she was a parent's nightmare. worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I had that friend too. She was the first person I smoked pot with, the first person I drank with. Yeah. She's not an addict. Yeah. I mean, I haven't talked to her in a long time, but how ironic that, like, you'd think that trouble, that girl that's trouble is totally. going to be the trouble later it's in life. It's so funny you said that. I, like, just started looking around her Facebook. Yeah. Like, I just noticed her on Facebook. Yeah. And, We've been friends for a while, and I was like, I wonder what she's up to. And she's a son, and she seems like very religious, and it was so bizarre. I know. It's yeah. like they grow out of it. Although, yeah, I was a, so more, more like similarities yeah. here. So 12 because of the bad, infl- the quote unquote bad influence girl. Right. Did you ever get busted for shoplifting? Did you ever do that? Did you go through that phase? The, the same girls, yes. the same group of people took me shoplifting at Nordstrom's at Stanford Shopping Center. Uh huh. And I didn't do it. I, I couldn't oh. do it, but we were pulled, but they did, and yeah. they were caught, and I was caught with them. And they pulled us into this back room, uh-huh. and there was people following us, apparently. I didn't even Cameras know about it. too. Yeah, I guess so. Um, it was the scariest thing. They let me go because I had nothing on me, but they were busted, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. I was busted at the Macy's in San Rafael, same way, taken to the back room. No way. Yeah, and I... They did. They called my parents. That, yeah. That's all they did. Yeah. So I was lucky. Yeah, that is lucky. And and plus, he called me. Said I think that Anna was like influenced. That like yeah. my friend was the bad seat. It was not the same friend. Right. It was a different. Right. Friend. Right. 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 Yeah. Who? Absolutely different. Friend. Same. Yeah. Same age. Like same age. Like that was around the same age. All that happened. Yeah. 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 But you were the good girl who wouldn't do it. No. That's I was. sweet. I was. But I mean, you know, I've taken things here and there. But I mean, no. it, yeah. was, it wasn't. No, I, I didn't, you know, it's funny in my, like, even I, I talk about self-betrayal all the time with my clients and I talk yeah. about integrity and it's funny because like, I, I remember my integrity being like chipped away at even back then. I was like, oh my God, I smoked a cigarette. So my integrity has changed mm. now. Oh, okay. Well, if I did that, then I can smoke pot, then I can do this. And so, yeah, at the time I still was trying to, I think, hold on to like some kind of innocence, but mm-hmm. eventually... I think as you go on in life, it, it starts to change when you start to do things that you know aren't really good for you. And I think that's what self-betrayal is. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. I never had a thought that I was doing anything bad. Or if I did, I thought that was exciting. Oh, yeah. No, I found it exciting too, but I still was like the pleaser. I don't know. Yeah. My, I've always felt I was betraying like who I, your, what I knew was right. Like your parents too? Yeah. Betraying them? Yeah, not so much my parents. It was so much more like my own inner voice, like my mm. own like... That's not nice to do, but I did it in any way. You know, they're like, yeah. that's not good for you, but I did it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't care. I loved it. I loved I had so much fun, I think, acting out in those ways. Yeah, yeah. As you, you and I both seem like we're like free-spirited people. Yeah. You want to experience everything. Yeah. I mean, I will totally, I will say yes to anything once, yeah. at least. I mean, that's how, like, you find me, like, doing trapeze and, like, repelling down buildings and stuff. That's totally. awful. Yeah. You know? No, I would do that, too. Have you done stuff like that? I have. I've, I, I've repelled. Yeah. Trapeze, I would totally do. We just passed one the other night. At the I, that's, that's where I did it. It was actually the most terrifying thing in my life. Really? Going down the W Hotel was less scary. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. No, I, I'll have to try it. I haven't done it yet. But I'd be open to do it. Yeah. What's your sign? A Libra. Okay. What are you? Okay. I'm a Gemini. The guy I just started dating is a Libra. Oh, really? My mom's a Libra. Geminis and Libras 
first of all, Libra men and Gemini women are matches. Because they calm us down? Is that what it is? I don't know, but my best friend was a Gemini growing up. I uh-huh. had a couple of girlfriends that yeah. I've been close to Gemini's. Yeah. Um, but were you saying your mom? My mom's a Libra too. Oh, she is? Yeah. And uh-huh. so I never have known because that, you know, relationship is complicated because it's, uh, you right, know, my right, mother. Right, right, But you're really close. I'm cl- really close with my mom, but yeah. you're really close with your mom, right? Yeah, very. And you always have been? Always have been. What about during the phase when you were kind of going crazy? Well, she she's the one that saved my life, basically. I mean, she's the one that was like the nag in my ear, like would not let it go. Yeah. So yeah, there was a period of time where I really isolated from her because I didn't want her to like catch on to things, mm-hmm. even though she already caught on. I was just still like trying to hide things. So um, I remember living in San Francisco and I totally was in my bottom of my drinking and my hands were shaking every morning and she was like, I'm picking you up for lunch. And I would be like, she cannot see me this way. Mm-hmm. So I would like make up an excuse. I didn't see her. I was just, it was a terrible time actually because mm-hmm. a lot of other things were going on in our family. But she was the one that basically said like, I can't watch this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was so tired of it that I was like, fine, mm-hmm. fine. And what happened? So I went to treatment. Did you go to passages? Is that where you no, went? No, I went to Betty Ford. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and what were you doing at that point? Were you just I drinking? Just, I was drinking, yeah. I was, I was like drinking every day, all day, every day. Right. And I was in a relationship with somebody that was a major Addict. drinker user. Yeah. 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 So it was, it was like, and then I was vibrating with people that were like literally sitting at the bar at eight o'clock in the morning. You know, I mean, those were the people I was like hanging out with, which are, you know. How did you get from that drink with the bad influence girl to there. I think the minute I drank alcohol, I don't know if it was the same for you, I knew it was like, oh, I'm home. Like, felt Mm -hmm. so good. I actually felt it in my chest. Mm -hmm. Like, it felt warm. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying that to my stepdad when I was, because I grew up in a very, like, European-style family. We traveled a lot. Like, we drank wine when I was 14 with my family. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, it wasn't, like, forbidden for me to have a glass of wine. But I always Mm -hmm. knew even then that I liked it more Mm -hmm. than I probably should. And I always knew it would be a problem. Right, right. Like, even doing, like, drugs here and there I knew like oh I like this it'll be a problem like I knew I already knew I already knew like I had an instinct about it I just wasn't you know I thought it was inevitable I mean it was basically nothing was gonna stop me at the time right so you thought well I have a problem but oh well because I can't do anything about this yeah, problem yeah I mean you're invincible to a degree when yeah. you're that age so it's just yeah I mean I was like oh, it'll, it'll come to an end eventually and even I remember when you said how to get there I went from college drinking a lot like every day yeah and not just at night during the day no, 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 no. Not during the day. I went to classes and stuff. But we would we would drink every night. We went out every night. Yeah. We'd start pre-drinking like at four, five. Right, right. right? So yeah. drinking five every night. Yeah. That'll do a little bit on your system. Yeah, yeah. So that went on And then it goes four till years. two. Oh, yeah. And then it goes until two. And then afterwards, we all went back to, you know, yeah. places and stayed up all night. Right, right, right. Ordering pizza, whatever. Or maybe that was just mm, yeah. in Connecticut. Yeah, a lot of other things. Yeah, yeah. 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 But the, like that went on. And then and then after I moved to New York, right after college, and that was it. Like that, right. that was the cherry on top of going out all day, every day, lunches, drinking at lunches, drinking on weekends, brunches, you know, and New York is just... And what were you doing, ostensibly? I was. I got my real estate license. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, and my dad is in real estate, so I was like, "What should I do?" As a literature major, I graduated a literature degree. I was. I love to write, but mm-hmm. I was like, "What am I going to do in New York?" Yeah. And I lived in LA very briefly, and I worked for a talent agency, and I didn't like that. So mm-hmm. when I got to New York, it was like just. I mean, the book was open, so I was like, I'll try, I'll try it, and yeah. I did that, but it really wasn't good. There was no structure, no routine when you're your own business, which yeah. is basically being a real estate agent. Right, which you still are your own business now. I am now, but now I'm, you know. Yeah, responsible. And yeah, I'm clear-headed and, yeah. and present, yeah. So you didn't, you didn't sell a lot of apartments? No. <laughs> 
And then it was a cover. And then you made it to LA. And then I then I made it to San Francisco and then LA. Yeah, uh-huh. I moved back to San Francisco to try it and come home, and it was it was a nightmare. Yeah. And then I think we decided we figured out we were in San Francisco the same year. Was it? Mine was ninety three to ninety six. Growing up, or you mean no? No, I'm a thousand years old. Yeah. So no, you look so young. Um, <laughs> I think you're. I, I feel like you're my exacting age. That's my age is on the internet, so I've gotten into acceptance oh, really? around it. Oh, but, I don't even know how old you are. No uh, yeah, idea. I thought you were my age. Well, how old are you? I'm 36. Yeah, ish. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I know. What well, that's you could like. pass for that, or even younger, actually. Like. Oh, please. Yeah. Uh, so okay, and so then you come down here, and then what happened? And then I came down to LA sober, and and literally was just so I hate the word addicted, but I'm gonna just use it. Addicted to health, addicted to like living well, addicted to learning, to mm-hmm. evolving. So um, I came down here. I went back to UCLA for school. Read every book in the world about mindfulness. Got a meditation teacher. Which one? His name is Peter Vroom. Oh, okay. So what form of meditation is it? It was a Vedic meditation. That's what I do too. I don't know yeah. Peter. Oh, yeah. He learned from Tom Knowles? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And Tom Knowles is a, a, one of my family friends. She's actually family through marriage. Her name is Jill Benioff. Or actually, now her last name is something else. But anyway, she she learned from Tom. And uh-huh. Kind of, yeah, That's she told me you. about her. She's yeah. actually from the Bay Area, from Marin. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. yeah. That Tom Knowles circle is wide. Anybody mm-hmm. who's listening, he's got a website I, th- I think it's just intro to meditation yeah.com and same as tm it's just mantra yeah based yeah. yeah except it's not the same they had like yeah. a huge falling out with the tm I'm foundation sure. and all that stuff but I yeah i didn't even get involved in that part so how long have you been meditating well i i learned how mm-hmm. it used it here and there and i did it for a while a couple months like bum and chair twice a day like did all of what that he told me to do but it, it kind of fell off mm-hmm. but that's okay because i felt like I, I was a runner for many years like Every day, mm-hmm. which now I've gotten better at. I don't. I don't run as much. I do so other you, things like full on exercise addiction. Would you say? I think yeah. Once I got sober, I. I mean, I wasn't running hours a day. I ran like forty minutes, thirty mm-hmm. minutes, but every day. Yeah, mm, six days a week, not every day. Mm-hmm. I take one day off, which is usually a Sunday. And what about your thinking around it? Was that oh, the obsessive it. part? Um, there was, yeah, I mean, you know, it never took over my life, but I remember going on vacations with boyfriends or something, and I'd be like, hey. Babe, I'm, I'm going to take my running shoes and I'm going to get up early and I'm going to run a half an hour. Or anywhere I right. traveled with my mom, it, she knew. Yeah. She's getting up early and running before yeah. the day begins. But I wasn't like obsessive with like, I have to run hours and I can't eat that. You know, yeah. I was just like, I want to get a run in. It was more mentally for me a meditation. And it yeah. was like more of like, I felt like I was proud of myself and taking care of myself. And so I did not let that go for like two years. Mm-hmm. Like, But it was amazing because it pushed, it pushed myself to see like I was capable. I ran a marathon. That's amazing. I did things that I would have never have known I could do. I feel like people get so I was I didn't go through the phase of like let's do a 5k let's do a 10k let's mm. do a marathon like that was like a phase that was like year two yeah. of surprise yeah 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 same with me yeah, yeah. I, no but I didn't, oh, didn't I was like oh. have fun kids <laughs> uh-huh. um I have so my own did, yeah. sort of exercise I, I grew up do do? as a ballet dancer uh, so I always exercised every day ballet. yeah and then I went through all the phases I did aerobics then step then spin uh-huh, okay. then yoga uh-huh. and pilates then I went through the bar uh-huh. phase uh-huh. Uh-huh. And now I'm in a hip hop dance and then I do this like oh. super weird exercise called GST. It's like this very, it's like stretching. It's sort of a combo of Pilates oh, cool. and yoga. Amazing. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. And yeah, but I'm very obsessive about it. And yeah. that, it's you like, have to do it every day? No, but I was going through a phase where it wasn't just that I had to do it six days a week, mm-hmm. but that I had to go to specific classes and that was sort of what made it unmanageable because like, 
if you wanted to see me at 6.30 on a Tuesday or Thursday or 5.30 on a Friday or 8.30 on a Wednesday or 11.30 on a Sunday, <laughs> you could. Right. And that was like getting a little crazy. So yeah. it's a good week when I can just chill and do like three or four times a week. That's you know? great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I was the same. Like mm-hmm. in the early mornings, that was it. There was no laying in bed. And do you meditate now? No, I don't. I don't. I, I have my own moment of like like 10 minutes of like reflecting in the morning mm-hmm. and, you know, my gratitude stuff. And, you know, I, I, I do take the time. I hike a lot, which mm-hmm. I feel like for me is a meditation. Mm-hmm. I went through a phase of hiking. Don't do this. Don't do this at all. I'm not telling anyone to do it, but hiking by myself kind of in the morning. Yeah. So just clears my head and I would run, hike up and run down um, right Mandeville. Oh, okay. On the west side. Yeah. And so what made you decide to become a counselor? So when I was in treatment, actually, well, actually, actually, let me, even before that, when I was young, like maybe seven or eight, my parents divorced and I remember them taking me to a therapist mm-hmm. and I was so angry at mm-hmm. the time and sad. Are you an only child? No, I have, I have younger brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm the oldest. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking that therapist, I wasn't happy to see a therapist, but I thought like, I, I feel like I'm a therapist. Like I literally do, which everyone has come to me my whole life. Every friend, I never talk about my problems to people. It's always them coming to me and me giving like advice. Like I really am not, I don't think I'm very emotionally high maintenance. Right, right. So for me, I like never, I internalize, I fix my own problems. I don't come to someone and complain. Right. I'm not that kind of girl. And what's that like? Does Is that... I've always been that way. I've always been that way. I don't know. It feels good to help people to me. And I think that's my mission. I mean, it makes it makes me feel like my life is meaningful. Yeah. So I always felt that way. Like I I would like to be a therapist. And even through college, I was like, hmm, that would be nice. But I never, you know, never thought I never connected how to do it. And then I I remember in treatment, there was an old man. I think he's an angel, seriously, because I never saw him again. He like appeared one day. And he like grabbed my hands and he said, you're going to help so many people. I see it. And I said, I am. And that day, that morning, I woke up and I was like, I'm going to go back to school and be a counselor. And it was the weirdest the wow. coincidence of both things. I was like, this is it. Yeah. And wow. I did. And, you know, it just, it's always been in my nature. It's, mm-hmm. You ask my like family and they're like, she was the one that was like sitting with adults and listening. Mm-hmm. And like, that just was my nature, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. either some people get something from that or don't, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And so how did you then set up a practice after or you started working at treatment? Yeah, I treatment. started working at treatment centers. Well, I mean, in West Hollywood and Hollywood Hills, there's a couple I, I worked at, then the bigger ones in Malibu. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as I, um, as the years went on, I was working at Passages in Malibu and I started to get private clients through mm-hmm. word of mouth and, you know, started a private practice. And then when I wrote my book, Rewired, is when, when the book was published, it just people from all over the country were like reaching out. Do you do any sessions over Skype or is it I only do them LA? phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Skype or phone, but most people don't want to do Skype. Mm-hmm. So I have like, I have like eight clients now I see over, the, I mean, see, I yeah. talk to over the phone. Yeah. Yeah. But it's amazing. Like I just met one of them the other day. She mm-hmm. just came out two days ago. She mm-hmm. was here for a wedding with her husband and I've been working with her for eight or nine months over the phone. Never mm-hmm. met her. And she's, She's done really well. I'm really mm-hmm. proud of her. And we never met. So it was mm-hmm. like seeing somebody that you know so well after so long. It was really special. I just had that too because I I do coaching uh. mostly for people who want to be writers. And she was – I have somebody in D.C. and she was here. So cool, yeah. isn't it? It was yeah. surreal. It was really I know. strange. I know. You feel like you know them. Yeah. 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 So what made you decide to write the book? 
So I felt like there was a need for people to understand in recovery that you could create your own treatment plan, if you will, or you could create your own guide or your own path. Like I, I didn't like that I saw everybody just having to put all their eggs in one basket, whether it be like a 12-step program or whether it be completely Buddhist, whether this, like I was like, why can't everybody just try a little bit of everything? Mm-hmm. And what I really found was not talked about as much was the moral issues around sobriety and, and about like your core values. And so I said to myself, like really what helped me change was my values changed Mm -hmm. and I was like no one's talking about authenticity and honesty and integrity and the importance of all these values Mm -hmm. so that was really where the book came from it's about like rewires about changing your brain for healthier habits but it's also about changing your core values and understanding if I choose authenticity as my north star Mm -hmm. it's really easy then because I'm not going to work for somebody that doesn't have the same values or it doesn't feel authentic and I'm not going to be in a relationship where it's not authentic I can't be myself mm-hmm. you know so that word in itself helped me for mm-hmm. my first five years of sobriety and how did that did somebody say that to you how did the word authentic become this sort of cornerstone I was yeah I was working with a ther- oh, therapist actually mm-hmm. I still am um I, I, not as much but I, I I met her a couple years into my sobriety mm-hmm. I hadn't done therapy myself actually ever no, wow. not until like three years into my sobriety. Wow. Yeah. So in the beginning, I... I Are you I, sure you're Jewish? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And yes. so, yeah, yeah, three years into your sobriety. I didn't believe it. it. Um, yeah. So th- three years in, I, I met a therapist and she said to me, like, you know, authenticity for you is really important. And I was like, huh. And it just, all she did was plan to see it. Well, and it's like what you said about being 12 years old and doing it, that you felt like it went against some belief system. And it was like, I don't relate to that because right. I didn't have that. Right. I just didn't. But so when did you know that there was a problem then? Like when I was staying up for days doing coke alone. Yeah. Like you can't deny you have a problem, but yes. And on a certain level, of of course, no, I, you know what? I felt guilty probably the whole, most of the time from the time I graduated from college. I didn't feel guilty in college because that's like guilt-free. That's what you're supposed to be doing. But after that, I did. I remember one Sunday drinking in the city and like, you know, just spending hours drinking with people and like driving around and which is lovely to do after drinking and, um, (laughs) and feeling guilty, but not, I was like, why do I feel guilty? And I was like, it was sort of centered on my mom, but then I was like, yeah. So I remember that, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you know, and of course I think, you know, being authentic is important, but I wouldn't say it's like the core thought I have Mm -hmm. in terms of living my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I think for me, it's more about like staying like uh, that stuff makes me miserable. Mm -hmm. My goal is not to be miserable. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, makes me miserable too, all of that. But, but at the same time too, like it was more than just, I remember when I stopped everything, it was more like, okay, but now I'm working for Paramount. I was at Paramount Studios right after I got sober and I was Mm -hmm. working for someone didn't really believe in the person running the show, right. didn't feel it was authentic to me. And I was like, I can't betray myself anymore in any way. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only did I do it with drugs and alcohol, but it was more of like, you know. Who you were surrounding yourself yeah. with and all and yeah. what you were doing. Who I was in relationships with, what I was doing, friendships that no longer served me, me putting energy out into things where I wasn't getting anything back. Like that was mm-hmm. done. Those days are over. Mm-hmm. And having boundaries, again, that's mm-hmm. a whole nother conversation. Right. But right. knowing what those were now and understanding I could say no and didn't want to be exploited and like mm-hmm. yeah how did you feel exploited i think we teach people how to treat us mm-hmm. by everything we do and and i just think inadvertently i, I treated i treated myself in bad ways mm-hmm. right so other people were like oh she does that to her i could you know i could mm-hmm. whatever it was yeah so did you clean house when you got sober did you like what did you do with those old friendships yeah, I mean, I, I was very honest with them about where I where I stood in my own life, like how I, I was choosing a healthy path and mm-hmm. if 
that was it. That was it. You know, if you want to be part of it, okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I just kept myself really safe for the first year. I, I literally did not go to any like bars or do anything. I, I was really just like mindful of staying safe. And, and if I was seeing old friends, it was like, I'll meet you for lunch. I'll meet mm-hmm. you for a hike. I'm not mm-hmm. going to go sit at dinner till 12 o'clock at night while you get wasted. That's mm-hmm. not for me anymore. Mm-hmm. It was hard, but mm-hmm. I just had to like strap on that seatbelt and that was it. Did you know anyone sober when you got sober? Um, No. And so tell me about this, you know, this finding your path. Did originally you want to do 12, you were, you know, Betty Ford suggests 12 steps, Yeah, Betty Ford was great. I mean, learning about the 12 steps and Mm -hmm. going to meetings during that time was wonderful for Mm -hmm. me. It was a community. I didn't feel alone. I feel like I was the only person in San Francisco drinking like that, which I know is not the case. Right, right. Uh, Partying like that. Um, But, well, I will say I didn't find, like, the the real drinkers till I came to L.A. Really? Yeah, I couldn't really find the people who are doing it the way I was in San Francisco. But oh, wow. I'm sure they're there. Oh, they're there. Me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they are there. Yeah. But they are not fun. So, and so you did the 12-step thing while you were in treatment. While I was in treatment, a little bit when I moved to LA, but then it was just something that didn't, I don't know, I've, I've never been one to be part of a pack of people. Mm-hmm. It just, it's, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I like it. It just didn't, it didn't resonate with me long-term. Mm-hmm. And I have a big family that I'm very close with. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's funny. I don't have tons of girlfriends or tons mm-hmm. of guys. I mean, I, have, I do. I have some really, the best friends, I have like a handful of friends. Mm-hmm. I don't need like... Like two handfuls anymore right, right I went from two handfuls to like one yeah and so for me like I don't know I just I have a good support system I have a family that it's like unconditional and I'm close with mm-hmm. and I've had you know I'm, I'm in my 30s of relationships mm-hmm. and between that and building a career and writing a book and having a practice it's enough mm-hmm. I just didn't feel it yeah do you feel like you have to do anything to like stay sober no. You don't... What about cravings? Do you ever experience no. those? I have thoughts all the time. Yeah. Oh, my God. This ninth year of my sobriety has been the worst year in terms of, like, maybe I could have a drink. Maybe I could, you know, like, I those thoughts are, like, rampant. And I tell my clients this, too. Yeah. Um, it's so important to be honest about that, too, because I think that people yeah. think that if you're kind of working in the field of addiction and talking, you know, that you are somehow immune or you no. think you've got all the answers. No, I'm happy or, you asked me. No, yeah. I, I, I don't have the answer. I, when you said, what do you do? I do have a system. I mean, I, I, I keep safe people around me. I take care of myself physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. That always has to be in check. Mm-hmm. So yes, I do do that. But it still doesn't matter when it comes to alcohol and, and the fact that it, it's, it's always going to play tricks in my mind that I somehow... Mm-hmm. You know, it actually has helped me this nine years as I buried it. I mean, I tell my client, I buried it in the ground. I grieved it. I buried it because there was no window open. There was no like, oh, you know, I, I know some people getting sober and they're like, for now. Yeah. And a year from now, I'll think about it. And I'm like, good luck. Because you know what? If you don't put this shit to death right now. Yeah. In language, it yeah. will come back. Did you, was there an actual thing you did or you just emotionally? No, I just like visualized it all the time buried right, and like, right. like a tombstone. So for these nine years, it was the, were you obsessed? No, it, it just kind of came this year. No, I never, I mean, I've had using dreams. I'm a counselor. I talk about it every day yeah. for nine years. So yeah, yeah, it's always in the front of my consciousness. Yeah. But I think this year, just, just being in, I'm in a newer relationship for a year I've been in it, but I mean, I, it, I feel like I'm very happy in that and I feel like, you know, 
things are like more normalized. He's kind of a normal, mm-hmm. normie, what people call normies on mm-hmm. sober. He's not a big drinker at all. But I mean, there's just been thoughts of like, oh, oh, we're at a concert. We're here. We're here. Right. You know, but I mean, I, I never go as far as to ever plan it or want to plan it. It's just a thought. Yeah. And thoughts are okay to have. They're not necessarily indicative of any action. Yeah. yeah. But I was just, I just noticed that this year was like more and more of like, you've done, you know, you've changed so much. You've done so much work on yourself. You're happy. You have a great career. Like do it. Yeah, yeah. That was the that's the alcoholic voice. Yeah, yeah. I get it. It's like have I, you experienced that? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I've had it all forms of it. I've had years where it doesn't even occur to me. Yeah. Me then too. I've had oh, I want to drink when I've been in foreign countries with a bunch of drinkers. This has happened to me twice. Yeah. And then this year, in this past year, it's been when it's come up, it's been like oh, I wish I had a break from my thinking. Right. God, it's so unfair that I don't have this. And then like, why did I have to make such a big deal about this sobriety? <laughs> like, why couldn't I have just been like a normal sober person and just, yeah. you know, because I got no out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I have no out either anymore. Yeah. But that's a good thing. I know, I know. It's a blessing. I don't want to. I mean, especially... It's a blessing that you've created this for ourselves. I think it is. Yeah, I think so too. And it's not, I I think I've had remarkably few because my, if I go through it, what I go to is like, oh my God, life isn't worth living. Like I get real dramatic. I don't go to a drink will solve it. Yeah. Skip that. Right, right, right. You know? Right, right, right. And so in order to write the book about rewiring your brain, what did you do? Is it research heavy? Um, Um, No, I wrote from my heart really. Um, I, yeah, a little research here and there. Definitely through my clients, I I learned what worked, what didn't work. Mm -hmm. I started teaching groups many years ago, Mm -hmm. multiple groups a week. So Mm -hmm. I would have to think of the topics. So I would do topics on integrity and boundaries and red flags and mm-hmm. healthy ways of dealing with stress management and um, time management and all these things which mm-hmm. are chapters mm-hmm. they became chapters so I would always do these little write-ups for my clients I had 20 clients in a group or 30 clients in a group and I would make write-ups like a page or two maybe sometimes five mm-hmm. if you write enough of those up those are chapters mm-hmm. and I just expanded from there and how'd you get your book deal gosh I had a friend, a family friend that I Hawaii with every every year. Actually, he's from New York, and she said I was telling her about the book. And at that point, I had been done; the manuscript was finished, and I was sending it to like Hay House and all these different people mm-hmm. I knew were interested in more of like self help. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna self publish. Mm-hmm. That's it. And she and and and, and I had a, a, this other woman that was helping me with some PR stuff, and she goes, "Do not self publish. Mm-hmm. If you have a book deal, do it for credibility. You can't get on news shows unless you're published mm-hmm. by a bigger publisher." So I was like, okay. And and it coincided with the time she connected me to Hatherley Press, which is distributed by Random House, mm-hmm. which is my mm-hmm. my publisher. So at the time, she said, these guys are health and wellness division of Random House. You'll, they'll love you. And I sent it. And it was like, I was almost going to pull the trigger on the self-publishing like that yeah. week. That yeah, week. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's crazy. And I sent it and they like got back to me and they said, we love it. Here's the deal. Right. And that was it. Yeah. So it was it's a blessing. It's so interesting how how those things happen. And so and so and are you did, did you tell me you're doing another book? Yeah, I'm gonna do. Well, I have a coloring book, adult coloring book coming out. Love in it. February. It's it's literally like gonna be turned in this week. Um, amazing illustrator, the most gorgeous images. You guys, everyone's gonna love it. It's mm-hmm. cool, beautiful stuff. So that's been amazing. And I wrote all the content for that. And then we have a workbook coming out for Rewired. Mm-hmm. And then a second book. Yeah, I have a, a couple of ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's exciting stuff. And then you speak. Yeah. And so I first heard of you at the Foundations Recovery event in San Diego. You were doing a yeah. big talk. Yeah. And I'm doing one in Florida in a couple Oh, weeks. okay, that conference. And how did that come about? 
I started doing new shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like call me on if somebody. Ooh, yeah, if an over, addict relapses. Yeah, yeah. overdose, something yeah. happens. And okay. basically, they it just started like snow. When I started doing clean radio, I was helping co-host that that radio okay, show. I knew that. Yeah, they went yeah. away, right? They went away, but one of the founders was traveled a lot, so they call me in. Pat O'Brien was the yeah. The co- He's been on this podcast. Yeah, so Pat and I did the show for a little while. Oh, right, I right. Love him. Yeah, he's amazing. He's, I love him. He's the best. Yeah. yeah. And um, we we had fun, and I just was like, oh, I'm in love with radio. I'm in love with speaking. And I think you know what it was the, the plant the, the seed that was planted was the groups it was doing groups at, at different treatment centers, mm-hmm. and I got such good feedback from clients like mm-hmm. that helped this helped da da. So I was like, I want to speak to a larger platform. For me, it's always like, how can I create a bigger platform? Yeah, always. So it's like what TV, radio, books, like whatever. I mean, yeah. it's all because I want to reach as many people as possible. Right. Right. And so you you did clean radio, mm-hmm. and then you and then the speaking came from that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and we're gonna take the world over with our speaking event that yes. we're planning, yes. which is exciting. Listeners, exciting. you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. And so we let we'll start wrapping up. Tell yeah. people do you, do you have room to take on new clients? Can yeah. people email you? Yeah, people can email me, of course. Yeah, and you know I, I do an assessment with them. I, I give a first 15 minute free assessment Mm -hmm. to see if we're a fit because I I obviously want to be able to help them and vice versa sometimes they need more help at the time yeah we'll talk about it but Mm -hmm. yeah they could they could email me at erica at ericaspiegelman.com that's a good one yeah yeah Yeah. and it's s-p-i-e-g-e-l-m-a-n is that right yes bravo look I'm a a nice Jewish girl from Moran amazing so wait a second one other thing what so who are they are they people who want to get sober are they people who are in new sobriety? Yeah, good question. Um, it's people that are new in sobriety mm-hmm. that maybe have gone through a treatment center and are mm-hmm. out and want help now, like mm-hmm. help navigating the waters of what it is to now leave the drink behind mm-hmm. and create like healthy thoughts, healthy uh, self-talk, um, working on relationships and boundaries, working on your core values mm-hmm. and finding something that like literally lights you up. And I'm going to help them do that and do is it after two years or something like is there a cutoff point do people stay into longer term sobriety yeah they could stay as long as they want you Mm -hmm. know if it's still serving them and and i feel like it's still helpful Mm -hmm. yeah i've had clients i have a client i've been working over almost two years Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. almost two years now yeah and is it do you give them a system how does it work Mm -hmm. okay yeah i give them a system there's a couple of assignments Mm -hmm. timelines we go through a lot a lot of of the under underbelly of why it happened how do we get here like what's going on because i think if we don't fix the root of the problem we're not going to fix doesn't matter what band-aid you put on it you're going to bleed out yeah so i really i really that's that's very key for me is to getting to that and you figured the system out from leading groups basically leading groups and individual sessions for so many years yeah, yeah. and just reading tons of books and going to studies and i always take classes and i'm, I'm really like into i want to keep rising and learning so that i could actually share that yeah. knowledge with my clients so like if I find out the inner child work stuff works, yeah. I learn what is inner child work. How do we do the work? How do we get to that seven-year-old? Yeah. Yeah. How do we heal that seven-year-old? I don't just talk about a concept and then leave it on the floor for them. Mm-hmm. I literally go and take classes myself. So mm-hmm. for me, it helps me as, as an individual and it also helps my clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's how the system comes about. And is inner child work a part of the core curriculum, if yes. you will? Yes. Uh, it's funny. A friend texted me today and said, have you done inner child work? And I was like, that's the most random text ever. That is really interesting. But there's a great book called Homecoming with, by John Bradshaw. Okay. And it's a great start for people that want to 
learn. Okay. Okay. Good. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Is there any last thing you want to impart to listeners? No, I just thank you for having me. It's It's, like such an honor. And I'm like, so my heart is all full. Oh, I'm so glad we met. We're going to do amazing good things. And yeah. And then this will be way too late, but I'm going on your show because that's posting early September. So perhaps you heard the two of us on Erica's show and you were like, their chemistry is so good. I had to get more. Exactly. Um, No, thank you so much for doing this. So that was Erica Spiegelman on After Party Pod. I promised you I would tell you how to listen to her radio show. It is indeed called Rewired Radio. You can get it on RadioMD.com. Until then, stay sober if that's what you're doing. Keep being interested in recovery if that's what you're doing. I thank you for listening. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can also... Go to AfterPartyMagazine.com or RehabReviews.com. I'll see you next time.